Well, if you would go ahead this morning and open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50, you can find some Bibles uh, here in the front of the pews or your own copies of God's Word uh, that you brought with you. I also just want to direct your attention, if you are a visitor this morning, we want to once again thank you for being here and greet you. We have a QR code on the back of our worship folder. Now, we have two QR codes. We really like QR codes. But the one underneath that says, are you a visitor at FPO? If you just take a little QR code picture of that, it allows us to, um, it's a short question of your name and your email. It lets us know that you are here because we would love to reach back out to you uh, and just extend our thanks that you visited us and answer any questions you might have. We also have the black pew pads somewhere on the row. And if you don't mind passing that down so that we can know who all is here as we continue to pray for our congregation. Uh, back in the spring, I had the opportunity to preach Hebrews chapter 11, which is a lot, of, it's a lot of verses. It took us about four hours to get through the entire chapter of Hebrews 11. And in the smack dab middle of Hebrews chapter 11, which is example and illustration and illustration and example of faith, uh, there's a somewhat odd verse of an odd example of faith, of faith uh, that we did not talk about. It's verse 22 where it says, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Which is a little odd. Why is it such an act of faith that it makes it into this later part of the Bible for him to simply give direction about his funeral site? And one of you came up to me after the service and you were like, Tell me more about Joseph's bones and why that's an act of faith. And I was like, what a great question. I should study that more and get back to you. And I have been actually thinking about it for uh, weeks and months. And so as we come into this sermon, we're going to begin with Joseph's bones and this act of faith in Genesis chapter 50. But we're not going to end there. It's going to be a little bit of a different approach to a sermon than we normally do at FPO. We're going to start here, and we're going to see how this actually begins a thread line through the Bible. Now, the Bible, it turns out, is one unified story, one unified book, and every word of it is pointing us to Christ, even these words about Joseph's bones. And so we'll start, and then we're going to move to three different uh, chapters in the Bible as we're seeing this thread line about resurrection. Um, you might call three different chapters in one sermon a lot. I call that value for you. Um, I'm just the uppity youth pastor, and I said, I don't get to preach very often. Let's do three chapters at once. It's going to be amazing. Um, but if you're in Genesis chapter 50, I'm going to begin reading here in verse 22 and go to verse 26. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's ch children to the third generation. And the children also of Mahir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here. And so Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. 
for those of you who are note takers, as we walk through this little journey through the Bible, the, note, the points may not be as emphasized since we're going through in a little bit of a dynamic way. But here's the big point that I want everybody to know from the start. This is the, this is the point. That Christ is our hope for life in the face of death. Christ is our sure hope for life in the face of death. And even uh, Joseph is teaching us about that. These are the verses that the author of Hebrews was looking back on. Of this, these verses was an incredible act of faith, and so it deserves to be mentioned again as this wonderful example. Joseph, what he was doing was he was remembering that God had made a promise to his great-grandfather Abraham. Uh, Before Abraham had any children, God came to him and he said, I am going to make you the father of nations, but your people are actually going to be in a land that's not their own. They're actually going to end up afflicted for 400 years, and it is going to be challenging, but after that 400 years, I am going to be with them, and I'm going to bring them back to the land that I promise. And so Joseph, situated in Egypt, is remembering, oh, there's that family story, that thing that was passed from my great-grandfather to my grandfather to my father and to me. God has made a promise. We're not going to be in Egypt this whole time. And he's looking forward hundreds of years and saying, God will surely keep his promises. And at least grammatically, if you look in verse 20. Uh, 25, he says, God will surely visit you, which is the same emphasis that God uses when he says, if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. That is, that is confidence. That is a, a huge amount of confidence that Joseph is putting in it. It's as if he's saying, I'm more confident that God is going to visit us and keep his promises than I'm confident about dying as a 110-year-old man. He is confident that God will do what he said. God has made promises, and that is where he's finding his hope. I mean, Joseph could have, he was the second most powerful man in Egypt after Pharaoh. And at the beginning of this chapter, he arranges for his father, Jacob, to be buried back in the promised land. It would have been easy for him to say, the arrangement for my death is that you're going to take me back to the land that God's going to give us. But instead, by delaying his burial for hundreds of years, and his coffin is sitting unburied, waiting to go back to the land of promise, every time his son or his grandchildren or the people of Israel a hundred years later would see Joseph's coffin, they would say, he trusted God's promise. And this is not an easy situation living in Egypt right now. But God did make a promise. This is not forever. God is going to bring us home. It's a hope placed outside of themselves rather than inside of themselves. And that's how hope normally works. Uh, When you are thinking about, if you're hoping in anything, you can't just muster up more hope within yourself. And I have, uh, just imagine that you're in a group project. And for those of you who are students, you're like, oh, group projects are the worst. And I'm sorry, maybe you feel that way. Or maybe you love group projects, but I, at least, I did not. Uh, 
If you are in a group project, and whether that's in school or you're making a business proposal as you're trying to get someone to come on your team, whether that's chores around the house, that is a group project, the amount of hope that you have that it's going to be done well is usually connected to your confidence that the other people are going to do what they said they would do. So if you're in the group project with a person who is a really straight-A student and always studies three weeks ahead of time for the exam coming up, then you probably are hoping pretty well that you're going to do well on the group project. Or if the chores around the house usually get pushed behind playtime, uh, then you probably don't have a whole lot of hope that the chores are going to be done when the end of the day arrives. The amount of hope that we always have in anything is connected to our confidence in something or someone else. Joseph was hoping in God, who never fails and who always keeps his promises. And Joseph, of anybody, could have doubted. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He lived in prison for years. He went through trial after trial, and every single time he realized God has kept his promises. Joseph's faith and Joseph's hope is in the fact that God has made real promises to him. And that is noteworthy. God's promise is the source of our hope. But we're going to continue on and we're going to see that as we want to hope in God's promises, God has actually made some pretty specific promises. And there's a lot of specific promises. But if you would turn now to Ezekiel chapter 37, uh, which is... Skipping a lot of time in the history of uh, God's people. It's going to be towards the middle of your book. Uh, if you open the Bible halfway through, go a little bit towards the end, you'll hit Ezekiel. And let me give you some context. Uh, the people of God left Egypt. And by the way, Joseph's bones. What a great, got to conclude that. Uh, hundreds of years later, when God was bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, God said, it's going to be a, it's going to be a quick turnaround. The moment that God lets you, the moment that Pharaoh lets you leave Egypt, you need to get out quickly. So sleep with your shoes on. You don't have time to let your bread rise. You need to eat flatbread. You need to get out. And the Bible goes out of its way to say, after sleeping with his shoes on and on his way out, Moses stopped and he grabbed Joseph's bones. And Joseph's bones were carried in the wilderness for 40 years until Joshua buried them in the promised land. God kept his promise. But in Ezekiel, as we move forward to seeing what's happened, once again, the people of God are not living in the promised land. They're in Babylon because of their sin. They are not in a place that belongs to them, and they're beginning to feel hopeless. Ezekiel was a prophet among them, and he is one of the ways in which God is seeking to encourage and inspire hope in his people. And so let's read Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. 
I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Go to verse 11 now. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. You maybe notice some similarities with the story of Joseph and his bones. Joseph lived in Egypt, in a land that was not his own. The people of God in Ezekiel are in Babylon. Uh, Joseph was afflicted because, well, his people would go on to be afflicted. And the people in Babylon are very afflicted. They're struggling against people who are trying to uh, remove their worship of the Lord and replace it with foreign gods. They're struggling and they're feeling hopeless to the point that the people felt bone dry. But God has made promises once again. God has promised through Ezekiel that there will be resurrection and life for those who trust in him. Right, if Joseph is showing us that there's a lot of hope by trusting the promises of God, Ezekiel is saying that one of the things we can hope in is resurrection and eternal life. And God's goodness and grace, he can come and look at dead, dry bones lying in a valley and he can bring them back to life in dramatic ways. And this is an amazing picture of salvation in Christ, that Christ comes while we were still sinners, while we were dead in our sin and ungodly. And because he delighted to and chose to, uh, he died for sinners and rebels against him. That we might have life in his name. And to have life in Jesus also means to have a place that belongs to us. God is going to bring us in new life into a place that is our own land. That Christ, having saved us, wants to live with us. He wants to be physically present among us. And there is a day coming where resurrected bodies like ours will be living in a new heavens and a new earth. The brokenness that we see in ourselves will be gone. The brokenness that we see in the world will be gone. And there will be redemption and glory. And God will be there. If you've been away for a week from your family and you walk back in the door, you know that joy that you feel simply to be in the presence of your family again. Imagine the joy that we are going to feel by being in the presence of God after longing for our whole lives to be closer to him. We will see him face to face and he will wipe tears away from our eyes with his hand There will be joy because God has promised resurrection and life. He's promised to make it so that we would be with him forever. 
but he's also shown us how he's going to do it. So let's finish this little journey, skipping forward to John chapter 11. So if you'll flip forward once again. In John chapter 11, uh, it's another story about someone facing death. This time, it's not their own, but it's the death of somebody that they love. Mary and Martha have just lost their brother Lazarus. And for their whole lives, as they imagine their future, Mary and Martha imagined that Lazarus would be a part of it because he was their brother. And now they're mourning the fact that he won't be, that he's gone. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and we're going to pick up the story in verse 20. This is John 11, verse 20. So when Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. If we can hope in God's promises, and God has promised resurrection and life, Well, if Christ is resurrection and he is life, then our hope is in Christ Jesus. Martha knows that Jesus could have healed her brother, but he wasn't there at the time. And yet she still trusts him. And even as Jesus is seeking to comfort her, she does seem to find real comfort in a future resurrection. She says, I know, he's gonna, I'll be with him again in the resurrection on the last day. She trusted in the Lord, but what she did not expect was that God was keeping his promises right in front of her very eyes. When Martha says, yes, I've read Ezekiel 37. I know there's a resurrection coming, and that is, that is so good. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Everyone who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And if you live and believe in me, then you'll never die. Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of the promises that God has been making this whole time. And because I'm here, you don't have to wait for the resurrection. And so Jesus goes and he raises Lazarus as a foretaste and a glimpse of that day that's coming when all of the graves will be opened and all of God's people will have new resurrected life. As a foretaste and a glimpse of the fact that Christ himself, though he died, yet shall he live. And he lives forever, and our resurrection is in him. What we're being shown is that you don't have to wait for resurrection in life. If you're trusting in Jesus, if your hope is in Jesus, you're not waiting for this future, long-off hope. You can have new life today. You can experience a new creation, a new life right now. And so when Paul says later, to live is Christ and to die is gain, he's saying that new life you already enjoy now, because you're with Jesus, 
Well, the day you die, you're only going to have more life. That thing that you enjoy with Jesus now, the day that you go home to be with him, you're going to have it even more. But you already have it. You already have resurrection power. You already have the spirit. And you already have life because Jesus is resurrection and life. In a moment, I'll be making some applications to that, to the here and now. But I want to tell you a little bit more about why this is the sermon that I picked. Uh, Resurrection has been a really personal topic for me lately. Um, About a year and a half ago, I started having medical issues with my heart, which is not an organ that you really want to have any kinds of problems. And I've been in the hospital bed with the poking and the prodding and the scanning and the tests and the doctors who are really confused when the 20-something-year-old is lying in the cardiac floor. That's not a very hopeful situation. And it did not take me as a young man to realize that I had never truly grappled with the fact that we are mortals and that death is coming. And I realized that if you don't submit the time of your death to the Lord, then maybe you haven't submitted your whole life to the Lord. And I also realized that the only place to find hope after you're gone has to be outside of you. Just like Joseph figured out. Just like God has been pointing us to the whole time, our source of hope can't come from ourselves because one day we won't be able to move, but God will still be keeping his promises. God has made promises, and he will still be there when we are gone. And so, Christians, facing death, all of us, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. And so the day that you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is not untrodden ground. Jesus already knows the path through it. He says, to come to home to me is to experience the life that you've always been looking for. It is to enjoy life. It is gain. Jesus is not just making promises to you in the big moments of life, in the moments of life where you're walking through difficult relationships. Jesus has made promises to you when you are laying on your bed at night, unable to sleep, just working through your head about the future. Jesus has made promises to you when you are struggling with chronic pain, when you are working through a long recovery to an illness that you wish was gone a long time ago. Jesus is with you, and he has made promises to you when you're not sure how many years left you have and you're looking back on your legacy. Jesus has promised in every moment of your life, including the hardest moments, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And so for those of you who are facing a cancer diagnosis, and for those of you who don't feel like your body is doing what it's supposed to be doing anymore, for those of you who are struggling in the night, Jesus has made promises to you. And because he has made promises to you, your hope is never lost. Let's pray.
Father, I give thanks to you that you have not left us on our own and that there's not a moment of our life that you have not spoken into with your good and steadfast love. And so for those in this room who are struggling with the most difficult moments of life and who might even be facing death, would your promises be a sure source of hope? For those who have never considered the longevity of their lives, would you put your hope into their life that it would be there in the moment of struggle? And for all of us, would we leave here this morning praising you and knowing that we are safe in your hands. We praise you and we glorify you and pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.